Welcome to uh, the Quid IQ podcast. Uh, today, I have great pleasure in introducing Professor Sandy Peake, who is a staff specialist at the intensive care unit of the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, uh, associate professor at uh, the University of Adelaide, and also associate professor at Monash University. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the ARISE trial, which I understand that you're uh, heavily involved in? Uh, yes, I'm actually the chair of the ARISE Management Committee. ARISE is an NHMRC-funded uh, trial. It's a multi-centred trial incorporating at the moment around 45 sites in Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, Finland and very soon Ireland. And the uh, trial is evaluating the role of early goal-directed therapy in patients presenting to the emergency department with severe sepsis or septic shock. The trial uh, plans to enrol 1,600 patients and currently we have recruited just under 1,100 patients, so we're almost two-thirds of the way there. Fantastic. And early goal-directed therapy, um, uh, I suppose, is, is not uh, entirely novel. Uh, the RIVERS study, obviously, is the, uh, the key study from so 2001. Do you think it's important to repeat and duplicate you know, what they've done? Oh, absolutely. I, uh, whilst I think the River study was a pivotal study which has then led to uh, further research, there are a number of issues surrounding the trial which merit an ongoing uh, evaluation of early goal-directed therapy. The River study was firstly a single-centre study and uh, only enrolled around 240 patients. To date so far, the ARISE trial, the collaborative trials of Process and Promise, which are similar studies being conducted in the US and the UK, we've already enrolled around 3,000 patients. The issues surrounding the River study are essentially that uh, it was conducted in a inner city poor socioeconomic area in the United States and they had a very high control arm mortality of around 45%, mm-hmm. which is much greater than we have in Australia and New Zealand with our mortality from sepsis in similar patient population being less than 30%. And associated with that high control arm mortality, the Rivers population had a very high level of pre-morbid or comorbid illnesses. And the consequence of that is that the results aren't necessarily generalisable, not only to other uh, centres within the United States, but also to centres outside of the United States, uh, as in Australia and New Zealand. So I think that's one important reason why the trial needs to be uh, re-evaluated. The other issues relate to the fact that implementation of early goal-directed therapy is, uh, if in fact it is efficacious, is resource intensive and partly because of that it's not actually being taken up and I think that in order for it to be taken up by the general community there needs to be further evidence of uh, benefit and I think one of the other issues about the early goal-directed therapy is that in addition to being resource intensive I think it's not really being taken up because of concerns around some elements within the early goal-directed therapy algorithm such as uh, blood and and uh, dibutamine. So I think there's a a few reasons why it needs to be um, uh, re-evaluated and hopefully with uh, a rise process and promise we can give a definitive answer in a year or two. Yeah, it sounds sounds very interesting. I guess that sort of leads me on to um, 
this sort of concept of early goal directed therapy and, and bundling of, of care and, and targets. Do you think it it's uh, possible to sort of strip it apart and work out which aspects of the bundle are really efficacious and working, or do you think um, you have to put it all into a single bundle in order to you know, prove a, a, a benefit to outcome? Yeah, look, that's an interesting question, and I don't think, um, if you just specifically look at early goal-directed therapy, for example, I don't think we do know the answer. Whilst uh, a bundle, when implemented as a whole, may show uh, an overall improvement in mortality, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that individual elements within that protocol aren't, in fact, harmful. And if they were evaluated individually and then perhaps taken out of the algorithm, you may even see a greater benefit in uh, survival. One of the things with early goal-directed therapy that the process data, which is the United States-based early goal-directed therapy trial is doing, is actually having a, a third arm to their trial. And they will actually look at taking out those somewhat controversial elements of the early god directed therapy algorithm and looking more at the fluids and vasopressor and the attention to detail that you get with having an algorithm. Because one of the things with bundles is it's not necessarily maybe even what's in the bundle that's important. Right. It's that attention to detail that uh, is actually making the difference, not what you put into the bundle. Okay. I suppose then... Uh, that you know, asked me to sort of question, you know, what's, what targets should we be you know, aiming for and, uh, and, and what evidence do we have that we should be uh, targeting you know, central venous sats or mean arterial pressures or CVP? Should it be everything, some of them, or um, just a few of them? Well, the short answer is that there's no evidence for anything, really. So, <laughs> but, so that's, a, that's a somewhat nihilistic uh, approach. Yeah. If you look at a mean arterial pressure, for example, we know that you lose autoregulation at around, you know, 50 millimetres of mercury, mm -hmm. below which, um, you know, perfusion is reduced. But what blood pressure should we actually target? Uh, recommend guidelines and many trials uh, looking at sepsis, for example, will target a map of 60 to 65. But there are no randomised controlled trials suggesting that, uh, of course, that is the ideal blood pressure and doesn't take into account individual patients. Similarly with uh, central venous pressure, there's a whole host of um, papers which have suggested that CBP as a static measurement doesn't actually tell you anything about the volume status of an individual patient. And we should be looking at dynamic measures such as you know, stroke volume variation or, or passive leg raising. I, I personally think that there is no right number for any of these measurements and I think that whatever we do, it's a combination of things and it includes not only things like CDP but also looking at the patient and combining it with other measures of simple things like tissue perfusion, urine output and, and, uh, and so on and lactate for example. The, the, the clinician at the end of the bed yeah, with all of the information putting it together. Um, yeah, absolutely. In terms of, um, so as you said, blood transfusion and dobutamine are sort of quite controversial. Do you think there is a, a role for them in, in sepsis? Well, from a pathophysiological point of view, you'd have to say yes. We all know the DO2 equation, and that depends on hemoglobin, saturation, and cardiac output. And obviously, blood and dobutamine are specifically targeting um, those aspects of the um, oxygen delivery. So from a purely theoretical point of view, one would argue that, yes, they are important. 
but then we all we're all familiar with the uh, trick study, and we're all familiar with those studies that have targeted supranormal cardiac outputs uh, with dobutamine. Yeah. So. What the right answer is, I have to say, I don't really know. And one of the questions we've often been asked is uh, when I've gone around uh, educating uh, or doing startup meetings for a ride is, well, I don't like the dobutamine or I don't like the blood or I don't like giving so much fluid, whatever particular thing someone is against. And I guess the argument is that we're actually just testing the package and maybe once... Uh, we've tested the package and perhaps the package is shown to be beneficial, which I'm not certain that it will, but let's say the package is shown to be beneficial, then maybe there's an argument then for going on and looking at individual elements within that algorithm to determine which of those components are the beneficial um, components. Is it the blood? Is it the dobutamine? And I think that's the approach that needs to be done because you can't start from the other end because which one would you start with? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so for scattergun, and then and then go in and find detail a bit later and identify the uh, yeah the efficacious agents. Absolutely, and of course, if Arise is, if Arise shows that early gold directed therapy is not beneficial, then you don't need to go on and do all those other myriad of studies. True. Talking of um, so looking at outcomes, activated protein C um, and uh, Zygris trial. Do you think any lessons can be learnt? Uh, oh, look, I do. I think uh, I think the first thing, but I think we probably already know this is, is that there is no magic bullet for sepsis. Sepsis uh, has, uh, I think, any treatment in sepsis that are going to be beneficial are probably going to be multifaceted, a combination of, of various um, interventions. I think perhaps more importantly, though, most of the lessons, I think, around... Uh, Activated protein C really relate to the trial methodology. The initial prowess trial was ceased early, um, and we all know that trials that are ceased early have a, an exaggerated treatment benefit. So I think we need to be wary of trials that do cease early. Secondly, the uh, initial prowess trial led to the approval by uh, various regulatory authorities for patients with an APACI score greater than 25. And that was based on a pre-specified subgroup. But in fact, the ProRes trial had 25 or, or more different subgroups that they looked at, and it's never been that itself has never been prospectively validated either. So, or had not been. Yeah. So, I think that that's the second thing as a as a clinician and as a reader of research, we need to be wary of is is these subgroup analyses. And I think perhaps the other important thing is that, and I don't know the right answer to this, but I think we need to have bigger trials. I think we need to have um, more pragmatic trials, trials that are easier to conduct and aren't going to be so perhaps expensive and so prolonged because we need to be able to have results that A, are generalisable to all of our patients, but B, results that aren't going to take 10 years to uh, get into the clinical arena. Just from my own uh, practice, um, I see vasopressin as being sort of increasingly used. Is there? Do you think there's more evidence now for vasopressin in uh, sepsis? Uh, and I guess also your opinion about steroids. Are you are you pro or against the the steroids? Well. I have to say, uh, there was a survey recently in critical care, in critical care, that asking respondents about their vas- uh, vasopressin and steroids use, 
And over 90% of respondents said that at some stage they do use vasopressin and or use steroids. So I think most of us do use them at some stage. And I guess the argument is, do we use them when our back's to the wall or should we be using them earlier? Vasopressin, for example, the VAST trial suggested that you may get a benefit if uh, patients aren't in refractory uh, shock and have only low-dose noradrenaline requirements. But I think perhaps that the majority of people tend to use it when their backs, against, backs are against uh, the wall. Steroids, I guess um, there's probably a little bit more evidence for steroids, I think, than there is for vasopressin. And perhaps one might argue that there's less potential for uh, harm with steroids than with vasopressin. That's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. With vasopressin, I'm, I'm very uh, mindful of the uh, potential for mesenteric or uh, coronary uh, ischemia. As you're probably aware, the adrenal trial uh, is, uh, has just commenced and so they're planning to randomise around 4,000 patients. So I think that uh, hopefully with the uh, adrenal study in a few years' time, we may get a better answer uh, for steroids. Thank you. I guess um, uh, sort of just coming towards the end here and wrapping up this uh, podcast, um, I'd just like to sort of take some of your expertise and maybe give some of our listeners what you feel are the evolving trends in sepsis management uh, and perhaps of you know, two or three tips that we can take home uh, and put into clinical practice in the next uh, next few days. Well, I think those, those two aren't actually, um, don't actually go together. Um, in terms of what we can put into clinical practice, I... I um, think that the most important things are actually the simplest things and doing those simple things well. Uh, to me, it's all about um, start it's early recognition mm-hmm. and uh, early treatment and it's attention to detail and doing the basics well, getting the fluids right, getting the antibiotics right, uh, making sure you've got an adequate uh, blood pressure, maintaining uh, organ perfusion. Mm-hmm. As for the... Uh, what's in the future, I think that's a very difficult question. There are so many, um, uh, if one looks at the uh, sepsis literature, there's so many um, potential um, mediators and uh, antagonists and receptor blockers that I don't think there's ever, I personally don't think any one of those is going to be the answer and uh, it's going to be a a combination of therapies. But I I think that at the end of the day, if we do the basics right, that makes a difference. If you look at um, a, a unit with good outcomes yeah. versus a unit with not so good outcomes, we can all give some fluid and we can all put up some noradrenaline, but it's the attention to detail that makes a difference, and I think that is really the most important thing. Thank you very much. Well, on behalf of everybody at the Crit IQ team, uh, I'd like to thank uh, Professor uh, Sandy Peake for joining us, uh, and I hope uh, you found the session useful. My pleasure. Thank you very much for asking me to speak. If you enjoyed today's podcast, why not visit our websites, Critique and Crit Nurse? Our websites are leading providers of critical care education resources. Our sites contain podcasts video presentations and modules, searchable libraries and image databases, and much, much more. Critique can be found at www.crit-iq.com.au 
and Crit Nurse at www.crit-nurse.com. Alternatively, visit our podcast page on the iTunes site and give us a high five.